is an argument against design, but there's also an argument for a why. There really yes. is a why out there. Right. Right. And, and, and so often, you know, when you make a, a design argument and you point out these incredible features of biological systems that ca- just cause us to go, wow, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, many times skeptics will say, but what about all these flawed designs? Because, you know, if God is all powerful, all knowing and all good, hmm. you would expect a world with good designs. But we see a world where these bad designs, uh, either God doesn't exist or he isn't all good or all powerful or all knowing. And, and that objection takes on the very same form of what we were just talking about. Why, if God is good and powerful and all knowing, would he create a world where there's so much pain and suffering where things don't make sense? And the, the lesson that I've learned is that many times on the surface, it does appear as if a biological system is poorly designed. But when we pull back the layers and we really begin to ask the why question, why is it this way? Is there any rationale for it? More often than not, what we discover is there are very good reasons why the system is exactly the way it is. And if it was any other way, uh, life simply wouldn't be possible. And I could spend a whole afternoon going through example after example after example of uh, designs that that most biologists would have labeled as bad designs that turn out to be good designs. Okay, can I just throw you system. a pitch that you, we didn't rehearse this? I'm just going to throw some pitches out there and see if you have an answer. For an example, uh, it was an article in Scientific America that was called If Humans Were Built to last, where evolutionists were talking about the human body and the mindless process of um, uh, natural selection makes more sense than intelligent design. And they cited the esophagus, the human esophagus. It's bad design um, that that the, the way we can choke um, the covering over the trachea allows material into your lungs. <laughs> bad design every time you cough it just shows bad design they say yeah well you know and uh in that particular instance you know the the design essentially involves a trade-off because uh, that design is actually necessary for the vocal cords to be in the right position for us to be able to produce the wide range of sounds that we we make in order for speech to be possible. So it really is essentially representing an example of a trade-off that uh, allows us to be able to not only consume food, but also to be able to to use the esophagus as as a vocal instrument. So it's not so much a bad design as as it is essentially a trade-off. And it, it essentially represents kind of an economy of designs. You know, because I've, I've oftentimes heard people say, well, you know, if if God, again, is an infinite creator, then why wouldn't he just simply create humans with a completely different design than other creatures that allow us to vocalize? Well, God could have done it that way, but, but if he did do it that way, then uh, in a sense, biology wouldn't be possible as a scientific discipline. Because what we would learn for one organism would only apply to that organism. So there's a consistency throughout all 
of creation. There's a consistency throughout all right. of the universe. I mean, argue, we could argue oftentimes we talk with Dr. Hugh Ross and other astrophysicists uh, astro, uh, that talk on the universe. And we can know things about the universe, things that are now just being seen. Because we right. know what's going on in the human body and there is a glorious consistency. Is this yes. what you're speaking to? Yes. And, and so, for example, um, it's the same concept that, that biological systems are intelligible. And, and, and people need to stop and ask themselves why that is, because it's, it's absolutely remarkable. And the reason why they're intelligible is because every organism has the same biochemistry. Uh, every... Uh, organism is made up of the same type of cell structures. The, in, in animals, it's the same type of tissues and anatomical and physiological systems. And so what that means is that we can study the biochemistry of a yeast cell and from that actually learn information that impacts human biology, uh, that we can perform laboratory tests on mice and rats. And that information tells us something about how we might go about treating human disease. And so the, 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 the fact that there's a uniformity uh, to nature and, and to biological systems means that biology is possible as a discipline. Uh, I can only imagine what it would be like if every organism was unique. It would be, biology would be intractable. It would be an extremely challenging, probably non-existent scientific discipline. Uh, and so I, I see that as part of God's providence that he's allowed the world around us to be discoverable so that we can then in turn use that information to, to create systems where human beings can flourish and where we can actually work to, to mitigate pain and suffering. And so how about chewing as, your food? <laughs> yeah, right. No, right. Uh, but there are, there are other areas that are quite well known. Um, and when I was a child, I think you and I have talked about this story. Uh, all kids were almost routinely getting their tonsils taken out. You know, you don't need them. They're left over from some evolutionary process. And, and it's just a, a sign that we used to, I don't know, have have other parts that we no longer need anymore when we transferred from goo to you. Right. Yeah. And uh, I was so envious that these kids got to stay home from school and eat freaking ice cream every day. And I had to go to school because my mom said, if God gave you tonsils, there was a reason. But now we have found that there really is a reason for tonsils the the uh filtering out of infections for for example and i'm sure you could cite other other uses the appendix the same way a lot of people getting their appendix out because it just seems useless correct yes and and and, and again you know we're dis we've discovered that tonsils are, are a part of our immune system and you know the reason why you know people can get by without tonsils is because we live in a world that's kind of hyper hygiene where it's a highly sterile world where we're just not simply exposed to the the microbial insults you know that that we would have been uh, uh, earlier on in our history but the same thing is true with the appendix uh, it's it's not a, a vestigial structure left over from evolution but in fact it it's a, a functional uh, part of our biology that serves as a storehouse to replenish our intestinal tract 
with micro with microorganisms after you know uh, you know a bout of, of diarrhea or something like that. And uh, if it wasn't for that, you know, w- when our you know intestinal tract it cl- would get cleaned out, uh, we would not be able to establish the symbiotic relationships that are so necessary for our health with the microorganisms that are in our intestinal tract. And 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 in fact. There is some data that that seems to suggest, though it's not, I think, uh, directly established, but there is some suggestion that removing uh, the appendix actually leads to a greater occurrence of uh, colon cancer and other types of things, you know, like uh, irritable bowel syndrome and things like that. And so it may be that removing the appendix isn't necessarily without consequence, right? And, and, And I've also seen data that suggests that uh, appendicitis is probably something that is more a a concern in the developed world as opposed into the developing world. Because again, we live in these hyper hygiene environments, whereas in a a world where, uh, or or portions of the world where we don't see that level of hygiene, the appendix is is active and is playing a really important role. Wow. So again, we can remove our appendix in in the developed world without the same kind of consequences in the undeveloped world. So, you know, the the more that we're learning about, you know, these so-called vestigial systems, the more that we we really are seeing that there's a a reason why we have them. Uh, And and your mom, you know, had brilliant insight, you know, uh, because her mindset that if, if, if God, you know, created us with, with tonsils, that means they must serve some kind of role. Uh, And, you know, this idea that, you know, if you look at things from an evolutionary worldview, you're going to be very quick to judge things as being non-functional when at first they don't make sense, or when at first we can't identify obvious function for them, you're going to be very quick to declare things non-functional. Whereas if you look at things from a design perspective or a creation perspective, you're going to say, Maybe I don't know what's going on here, but I'm I'm willing to to dig in and ask those why questions, expecting an answer. And when you take that approach, you're never you you never are uh, uh, you're never disappointed. You know, you're always rewarded for taking that approach. And that's what real science is. And you're right. My mom was very brilliant. My dad had a more a more everyday approach. He said, "If it ain't broke, don't fix it." Okay, so there you go. In our arrogance and almost, uh, I guess, beyond arrogance, we have kind of an ignorance. We say, well, this is obviously not needed. Let's just yank it out. It, it has no purpose. We we do ourselves a disservice. You know, we've just dealt with a pandemic, uh, and we know that now our tonsils do filter out infections and such. We uh, don't give a lot of credit to our immune system and talk about how we can boost our immune system to fight uh, deadly viruses, to help uh, our bodies to, to be stronger. What are we doing to this amazing, amazing system that we have? So when we when we go down the road of this arrogance and ignorance, we do ourselves a disservice. I wanted to talk about maybe some useless quote 
systems within biology that I haven't mentioned that you may you may cite that are that are quite well known that in reality there seems to be a purpose in it. Yeah, well, uh, a, a couple of mine that are my favorites as as a biochemist uh, are are uh, it's cute. Not necessarily has, I, I'm that, just talking to the uh, to the audience for a second. Do you think it's cute how he has favorites? That is so cool, geeky. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are geeking out here. So. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, you know, we, you, you talk about um, our immune system, right? And, and maybe not giving our immune system credit. You know, uh, uh, one of the things that's interesting is that uh, in, the, in, our, in the cells in our body, protein synthesis is really highly inefficient. 30% of the proteins that our body makes, the cells in our body make, are made uh, with a flaw and they have to be destroyed. They have to be uh, basically broken down and, and we have to kind of start over. And that level of inefficiency doesn't make any sense because proteins are the workhorse molecules inside the cell. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of different proteins, each with its own unique set of functions that works collaboratively in the cell to, to carry out all the operations that are needed for life. Our cells are producing huge numbers of proteins on a moment by moment basis. And for that kind of flaw in protein synthesis, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, but yet uh, a, a team of researchers discovered that if it wasn't for that flaw, our immune systems wouldn't be able to react to uh, viral infections uh, with, the, with the same level of e effectiveness and efficiency. And what's going on is that when those proteins are made uh, with an error, they're broken down, and some of the protein fragments are presented to the immune system, and the immune system will surveil the surface of our cells and say, yeah, th this looks like it, what it's supposed to look like. But if a virus infects our cells, the virus will take over the cell's operations and start producing viral proteins, but those proteins are produced uh, inefficiently as well. They're produced with errors and they're broken down. And before the virus can even repli start replicating to the point where it will burst the cell open and and re release its you know the contents into the you know into the rest of our body, or the cell will bleb viral particles off. What ends up happening is our immune system is already alerted that there's a viral infection because of the, the, the protein fragments that are presented to the immune system. And so the, the, the scientists that discovered this were commenting on the fact that if it wasn't for this inefficiency in protein synthesis, our immune systems would be overrun, our bodies would be overrun with an infection before our immune system would even be aware of this. So this is like an early warning system that tells our immune system, hey, an infection is in place, start, act, start reacting to it even before the infection progresses to a large degree. So here's an example of where on the surface, you know, as a biochemist, I would say it makes absolutely no sense to have 30% of proteins produced with some kind of flaw, so they have to be recycled. But then when you look at it in the larger picture, you realize, oh, if it wasn't this way, you know, then we wouldn't be able to, again, respond to, to viral infections. 
and, and again, like I said, I could, I, I could spend all afternoon going through examples of, 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 of these types of things that have been discovered. Um, uh, uh, you know, another one, if I got, if I got, a t- if I got time, uh, I'll, I'll try to do this one quickly. Another one involves a, a protein called that's been nicknamed by biochemist Rubisco, right? And uh, uh, if it wasn't for Rubisco, there wouldn't be Nabisco. Uh, uh, that's a, <laughs> a geeky joke. But the reason I say that is because, <laughs> because Rubisco is perhaps the, the most important enzyme uh, in nature. If, uh, if it wasn't for Rubisco, life on this planet simply couldn't exist. And what this enzyme does is it takes CO2 from the atmosphere and it attaches that to a, a, a sugar molecule to make uh, the molecule glucose. And this is the first step in what are called the dark reactions of, of photosynthesis. And, you know, and, and from biology, everybody, I think, hopefully remembers that CO2 and water and sunlight produce sugar through the process of photosynthesis. And this is necessary. If that didn't happen, ecological systems simply couldn't exist. Everything is dependent upon photosynthesis. And that enzyme that does that first step, uh, again, is called Rubisco. Well, it turns out that Rubisco has a really bad reputation among biochemists as being a very slow, error-prone, inefficient enzyme. And uh, just recently, biochemists were studying the enzyme, and they realized that this is actually an incredibly optimal system hmm. that is asked to be to do the impossible, which is actually discriminate between carbon dioxide and oxygen. I'm not going to get into the details, but the shapes of those molecules and some of the chemical and physical properties are indistinguishable. And so the, this enzyme is able to actually determine the difference between CO2 and oxygen uh, in order to, to allow photosynthesis to happen. Uh, now, the trade-off is that it's a very slow enzyme because to do that discrimination, it has to slow down its operation to, to, very, to put in place the checks to make sure it's attaching CO2, not oxygen. Uh, and, and occasionally it still makes mistakes where it will attach, you know, oxygen to the sugar instead of CO2, okay. which again, isn't a desirable situation. But what the researchers discovered is that, that even some of those mistakes are necessary because if those mistakes didn't happen, photosynthesis is actually less efficient, not more efficient. So the, the system is designed in such a way so that it's highly optimized and it's able to, to, to do the impossible, uh, the, the trade-off is that it just has to slow down. And even when it makes mistakes, those mistakes are producing overall efficiency to the process of photosynthesis. So here again is another example that if this enzyme wasn't exactly the way it was, life on this planet would be impossible. Plants could not, could not, you know, could not grow and of course, you know, mm. ecosystems are dependent on plants, including, you know, our agricultural systems. That's why I say, if there's no Rubisco, there's no Nabisco. <laughs> so we wouldn't have all the all those wonderful things that Nabisco uh, produces that we enjoy. So anyway, 
but the, that's the, the, amazing. I, I mean, when you think about this, are you ready to get down into the, oh my gosh, there really is a God story in all of this? I mean, like we haven't seen it already, but let's apply it to all of the things we see in the news. All of these uh, seemingly poor designs and, and errors, imperfection has been, you would say, imperfection, seems to be woven in to the very design of our bodies, of biology, imperfections that that seem to just not make sense. Errors. You use the words errors. But what we see as errors are truly part of a bigger picture, of a picture of perfection. And what that God story is in all of this, as we try to apply it to the daily news and the things that, that, that ache our hearts and the questions we say, why? Well, there is a why. Because the Bible says God, God says that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. There is a grand design, what seems to be an error, what seems to to be useless, what seems to be poor design is in fact part of a grand, a better, a greater purpose. So we can see this in biology and because of what you mentioned, that consistency through the universe, the consistency in all things, we can apply that to the bigger picture, to what's happening in the Ukraine, to what's going on even with gas prices. There is a greater purpose. There is something that God's doing in all of this. Yeah, you know, and and to me, I've seen so many examples of, again, where bad designs turn out to be good designs as we learn more about those systems that it, it has built in me a confidence that when things don't make sense in my life, when things don't make sense in the world around me, I am willing to trust that God has, again, a greater purpose, you know, for this. And something that that I derive enormous amount of encouragement from are, you know, passages in Scripture that teach us that, uh, that you know, that God can work together in all things to bring about that which is good, right? It's the same kind of concept that we're talking about, that God the creator is also God the redeemer, that that we might intend something for evil, uh, but God has I- intended it for good, right? Or that, uh, that, that God, that even though we suffer, and it may not make sense, God suffered for us in the person of Christ on the cross, right? And and, and, that, and that we're never abandoned, even when we are going through difficult circumstances, that, that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that when we suffer, God is suffering with us, and God is there to comfort us and bring us peace. So, so we don't necessarily have to have the answers, right? It, it's nice to have the answers, and I think one day we will have answers. And when we do see those answers, we'll say, wow, now I get it, now I understand but, uh, but in the absence of those answers, we're not abandoned. God doesn't abandon us. He's there with us. And there's a fellowship in that suffering that we develop with Christ that, that, that equips us, that, that prepares us, uh, really, and perfects us, you know, so that when we go into the new creation, that we will be, we'll be ready to, 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 you know, enjoy what God has for us. 
it's called faith as you're watching, listening, or reading. It's called faith. But faith isn't just blind faith. I'm just going to trust. You can see through the conversation that we had today, things that just don't seem to make sense. Actually, there is a why. When you see enough of those lined up in science and even in your own life or on the world stage, it builds a pattern that bolsters a biblical worldview and a freaking awesome hope that we can have within us, no matter how dark the times get. Remember that the times that we're living in are unprecedented. War, famine, disease is the norm in human history, not the exception. We lived in this beautiful time of peace, but yet there really isn't peace uh, unless you have a peace that comes from the Prince of Peace, a peace that surpasses understanding. And that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Check out that worldview. Dig deep. And you know what? God's not afraid of the hard questions, and we're not afraid of them here either. We have been talking with Dr. Fuzrana. You can find links to his spectacular books at My Michelle Live and a link to reasonstobelieve.org. And I want to thank you again, Fuzz, for joining in the fun today. It is always awesome to talk with you and geek out. Thanks, Michelle. It's, I always enjoy hanging out with you, too. <laughs> More SciTech Talk at MyMichelleLive.com. <laughs>